God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enloe. Introduction. Greetings and welcome back to God's love language, the language of obedience. That is God's love language. This is Joe Winlow, and I am your host, and I am blessed that you have taken the time to listen to our podcast today. We are in the second episode of the second relationship ever created by God, that of the couple. As I explained in the previous episode, we have begun our study on this relationship by starting as if we are all single Christians, and then we'll work our way through the development of dating, then engagement, and finally becoming a couple. And then we'll talk a little bit about how to make your couple successful. You cannot fully understand God's plan for the couple if you do not understand how he created it to unfold, that is, the marital covenant. Remember, if you did not do it this way, this we're going to talk about, do not feel condemned. I don't want you to do that. Most of us who are married did not do it according to God's plan, but he will still use you to bring about his will if you let him into your marriage. All right, before we begin, since this podcast has been heard in 22 different countries, the interactions we will be describing between spiritual brothers and sisters and then husbands and wives are generated, or excuse me, that are geared towards nations that incorporate the uh, Bible, preferably the entire Bible in their religious institutions and churches, and whose marriage ceremonies are, for the most part, biblically based. The freedom to choose one's partner in life is at the core of free will and love. So what can we do for you when it comes to dating and finding a spouse? How can we help you? You have heard many scenarios and suggestions about dating and many claim the church's version is too old fashioned or it's out of, a t- out of touch with today's young Christians. In fact, this is one area of your personality that is likely so ingrained with secular beliefs and habits that you will be more apt to laugh and dismiss a biblical view than you will be to adopt a new one on the subject. What makes it even more difficult to change is that 99.9% of the rest of the people in your world subscribes to the worldly view of dating. It takes a mighty strong Christian, steadfast in their beliefs, to change this area of their life. You must be strong devoted and committed to God to make it happen. What makes us think we can change your style and techniques then? What makes us think you would even want to change? If your dating life is similar to that of anyone in the secular world, then we believe you can benefit from this teaching. We do not believe your style is faulty. It is just incorrect for an individual devoted to God. At the heart of all relationships is a battle with the self, selfishness. Falling for another can be so toxic and powerful that it will change all of your dreams and all of your beliefs and your behavior if you let it. You believe you know what you want and will do whatever you can to get there, even challenge God's plans for your life. I will demonstrate to you that as Christians, your dating habits and patterns are one of the last things to be given totally over to God, sometimes never given to Him. Don't believe me? 
Just look at how most young single Christians date. Watch how freshly divorced or widowed or widower Christians date. It is as if they put God on hold while getting back into the dating scene again. It is no wonder the second marriage will have a higher percentage of failure than the first. We hold on to what we want, how to get it there, even against all wisdom poured into us by the wisest people we know. Let this episode enlighten you on how to change those worldly ways, but you must be willing to change. If you don't change, it is because you don't want to. Pleasing God in your relationship pattern starts with having a godly mindset and point of view. Remember my two episodes on losing a loved one unexpectedly and surviving and growing for the loss of a loved one. Those were episodes 10 and 11. It is not about us and you only your only purpose in this life is to learn how to love and obey God so that you can earn your rewards when you get to heaven. God has a plan for you even before you were put into your mother's womb. His plan for you can only come to fruition if you follow his will for your life. When you follow God's design for your life, you honor him and you glorify him. His plan comes to fruition with you and all heaven rejoices. In order to get the proper perspective on dating and sex, the Christian must see everything from the biblical perspective, not from a worldly or fallen human humanity point of view. Remember, you are not of this world spiritually, and to get the most out of life as God intended you to, you must act counterculturally and accomplish your mission and calling for God. If you can keep this perspective, you are 80% there. Congratulations. Let's begin with a little history and how we as a nation came to our current dating habits. Most of this information was found in an article written by Taylor Markerian and was entitled how dating has changed over the last last 100 years. And here is our introduction. The concept of dating as we understand it actually began at the turn of the 20th century. Prior to the late early 1900s, courtship was a much more private, unemotional affair. As a side note, that is also when adolescence started. There wasn't even a category for adolescence prior to this time. Once you became 14 or 15, you were expected to act like an adult. That will be discussed more when we discuss the child-parent relationship. When dating during this time, women would meet with several men with her parents present to whittle the pickings down to the most suitable match for marriage, which heavily relied on factors such as financial and social status of the man. Financial security and social interactions were important to a couple's happiness, and it still is. When a young woman decided on a man she wanted to see exclusively, their activities as a couple took place either in the household or at social gatherings. At that time, there was no such thing as just two lovers going out on a date. However, this began to change in the early years of the 20th century, or the early 1900s, when couples began to go out together in public and unsupervised. Still, the ultimate and very apparent goal was still that of marriage. This stands in stark contrast to today's dating world, when the topic of marriage may not even be brought up for several years. Today, sometimes it's just about hooking up. The first decade of the 20th century was marked by the figure of the gentleman caller. If a young man was interested in a young woman, he would follow the proper protocol of calling upon her. 
which meant that he would come to the family's home and hopefully be welcomed into their parlor. If he was invited back for subsequent visits, he would be free to come and call upon the young woman during hours specified by her parents. As the years rolled on into the 1920s, however, this system quickly became outdated and unfavorable. Author Beth L. Bailey writes in her book From Front Porch to Back Seat, Courtship in 20th Century America, dating had almost completely replaced the old system of calling by the mid-1920s, and in doing so, had transformed American courtship. This was a period of time when the couple started going out on dates, which also meant they started paying for dates. This changed the relationship dynamic between a young man and a young woman, as now it was the man's duty to pay for the date, whereas before it was the woman who decided the terms of the visit. All right. Let's compare a little bit courtship and dating. The fundamental difference between courtship and dating is that of freedom. While traditional courtship had its own set of rules and rituals, dating as it evolved became less structured. Courtship was seen as a fundamental part of a well-functioning society. When people started dating, relationships became less restricted and more personal. So what instigated this cultural shift? In Jody O'Brien's book, Encyclopedia of Gender and Society, Volume 1, she writes, different institutions were becoming more prominent in the lives of young men and women, such as school, college, and workplaces, which exposed them to a large pool of potential dating partners. As a result, the purpose of dating was primarily to have fun, not to find a marriage partner. However, Couples would form after several dates if they were interested in having more exclusive relationships. This starts to resemble what we would now conceive as, of as a modern dating and the ritual of courtship was left in the dust. A proper match versus falling in love. With the introduction of dating came the focus on falling in love rather than finding a society approved match. In previous years, love was not seen as being of central importance to a marriage, and if it was to come, it would it would emerge after the wedding had already occurred. But with the introduction of dating came an increased desire for romance and love before deciding to commit to marriage. This concept, explained in depth in the Oxford Companion to the United States History, goes... By the early 19th century, couples began to consider romantic love prerequisites for marriage and base their unions on companionship. The era's fiction frequently drew on love themes, while articles, essays, and public orations stressed mutual respect, reciprocity, and romance as ingredients of good marriages. Young courting couples chose their own partners and their letters focused on romance rather than on the practical matters that had dominated the corresponding, the cor excuse me, the correspondence of earlier generations. The desire to climb the social ladder or to secure one's place in society fell by the wayside and the desire to find a favorable long-term partner took its place. And that's when the problems with love versus infatuation began to happen and trying to tell the difference between the two becomes a problem for a lot of people. 
Going steady now. What about going steady? In, in the 1950s, going steady was the term for being in an exclusive relationship. This status was about the relationship, sure, but it was also about standing out amongst your peers. According to the University of California, Santa Barbara, across university campuses, couples publicized their decision to go steady when the man gave the woman an article of his clothing to wear, such as a jacket, like the letter jacket, a letter sweater, or a ring or even a bracelet. Dating had become much more about youth culture than about family expectations. You see how the shift is focusing from the family consideration down to the personal consideration or the selfishness, the self thinking about the self only. The way in which two people experience sexuality when dating also shifted. In the earlier part of the 20th century, sex and sexuality were not openly discussed. As Arthur Jody O'Brien put it, sex was desexualized and reserved for marriage when the couple had entered into a spiritual union with God. As dating gradually became more about personal pleasure throughout the decades, the expression of sexuality became much more commonplace. According to the Oxford Companion to United States History, the terms necking and petting, the former referring to kisses and caresses above the neck, the latter to the same below it, entered public discussion, giving names to previously unspoken private activities. Now, when we think of the 50s, we tend to think of a period of purity and the Stefford wife ideal. But in actuality, it was a time of sexual change that ended up resulting in a dramatic increase in population. Free love. Between the popularization of rock and roll and protesting the Vietnam War, 1960s youth culture was hot for the revolution. Not only was it the activities of the U.S. government that young people were resisting, but they were shirking old social conventions as well. In the 50s, saw young people starting to experiment with sex. The 60s was a resulting explosion of sexual activity in the name of of freedom. For a long time, sex was either not discussed or seen as a kind of enemy, a destroyer of young girls' reputations. But this stopped being the case with the hippie generation. America in the 1960s, author Edmund Lindop describes the sexual shift of the period. For youth of the 1960s, such restrictions were a thing of the past. Many young women took birth control pills to prevent pregnancy. They freely explored their sexual feelings. Sex before marriage was no longer taboo. Young people extolled the benefits of free love. That is, making love without marriage or long-term commitments. As a man, I remember, we loved this liberation of women's sexual freedom. Now we did not have to try so hard to have sex with a girl. We could now play the field and not have to entertain the thought of getting too serious. Obviously, it was back before I was a Christian. There were no rules for dating anymore. Young people did what they wanted, when they wanted, and modern-day hookup culture began. You were and are considered old-fashioned if you tried to exclude sex from your dating pattern today. Dating and Technology the next major change in dating started with the introduction of matchmaking services and the Internet. But the concept of online dating was being worked out way before the general public even had access to the Internet. In 1965, two Harvard students created what is known as Operation Match to make dating easier for young people. 
the World Wide Web officially became available to everyone in 1991, and online dating websites were soon popping up all over the place. Match.com was officially founded in 1995, and it was at the turn of the 21st century that people also began using Craigslist as a way of linking up with other people romantically. Shortly after, sites like OkCupid followed. There are even ways to have sex over the internet these days with animated computer peripherals. The Millennium Dating. Today, you can't turn your head without finding someone who has at least one dating app on their phone. Tinder, Plenty of Fish, and Bumble, to name a few. While some people think this approach to dating really works, others collectively sigh at the, uh, at the thought of the current dating game. So why are so many millennials complaining that dating nowadays is just too frustrating and complicated when technology was supposed to make it easier? The individual has become more and more important in today's culture than ever before, and technology has played a big role in that. Just think of the concept of the selfie. This generation is much more focused on themselves than previous generations, and this is true of Christians also. Just watch how young Christians act with their friends or in front of a mirror. Can you tell the difference? Or in front of their own phone? Combined with the casual culture of hooking up, one-night stands, and friends with benefits, actually finding someone to seriously date can be difficult. Millennials simply have so many options that going steady can be a hard pitch to sell. Now, is dating getting worse or better? There's a case for both sides of this argument. Nowadays, we have more freedom to choose how we live our lives. We make up our own rules, or lack thereof, and are allowed so many options in how we wish to interact with romantic partners. However, this is exactly what makes dating today so difficult. What does the other person want? Are they looking for something real or are they just trying to have fun? Are there any mind games going on here? What are you equally or are you equally yoked with the other person? Are they as devoted to God as you? Today's dating world is certainly a maze, but that doesn't mean that love doesn't still happen. Remember, you are a Christian. Hold fast to your beliefs and your beliefs will serve you well. Don't let your sinful nature talk you into acting according to your old ways. You must talk to yourself and tell it what to do and how to believe based on your Christian beliefs. Remember what I said last month. Belief is the foundation of emotions. And that is why how you believe determines your basic quality of life. Your emotional responses and instincts are biblical and vitally important and based on what you believe about your environment. Now, let's talk about what I call the cherubim walk. We established in the first episode of the, cup, uh, of the couple last month that as Christians, we must view others as brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's how you look at everyone, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Girlfriend and boyfriend relationships are really a modern phenomenon based on what we have just gone over. And it actually, in actuality, if you make yourself exclusive to getting to know just one individual, you may miss the best God has in store for you. You, you don't go out there and meet other people because your boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't let you. 
Years ago, around 1991, we developed a singles ministry called Cherubim. Cherubim is an acronym for creating honorable earthly relationships and uncompromising biblical intentions for marriage. I will be borrowing heavily from that ministry as we begin our discussion on how to interact with the opposite sex as well as interact with fellow brothers and sisters to the glory of God. We begin this discussion of the cherubim walk with the first part, and then we'll finish it up in July. In August, we will discuss physical intimacy and sex. Okay, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord, or you might be a brother or sister and in a position to influence a non-believer by your dating actions. God created all, and all people should be treated equally. Here is how we believe it should be viewed. A, brothers and sisters, remember their purpose. To bless others. Many Christian singles are so overwhelmed by the problems they're having in their boyfriend-girlfriend relationships that they never stop to ask why it is they got involved in a relationship in the first place. What were they trying to achieve when they first started going together? What are they trying to achieve now? It is blessed to be a blessing. So throughout the scriptures, God makes it clear he wants us to bless our neighbors, our brothers and sisters. God hasn't told us to do whatever we can to seek a blessing for ourselves. Instead, he says, I will bless you. It's in Genesis 12, 2, 3, Deuteronomy 7, 12, Hebrews 6, 13. You do what God has instructed you to do, and he will bless you as a result. From the very beginning of the Bible, God teaches us that we are to trust him to bless us. We are to bless others. In the meantime, there are many places in Scripture where this truth is evident, but we would like to call your attention to one in particular. Leviticus 19.18 tells us, Love your neighbor as yourself. According to Jesus, this command is the second greatest commandment. It is also the basis for the golden rule in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. Matthew 7.12 According to God, Our purpose in life, the reason he made and redeemed us, is to bless our neighbors by serving him, giving honor to his name, and thus introducing our neighbors to our Father and teaching them to obey everything he has commanded. See Matthew 5, 13 through 16 and 28, 18 through 20. Ultimately, our purpose is to praise God by helping to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ, Ephesians 1.10. It doesn't matter where you draw the line for sexual intimacy. If you've forgotten your primary purpose, that is to bless the world and help lead your friends to a more intimate and fruitful relationship with Christ by accomplishing your calling. It makes no difference if you can have fun in your relationship if that fun entails compromising your integrity. Dating relationships are not successful merely because you and your friends haven't enjoyed yourselves and remained free from pregnancy or abortion or from sexually transmitted diseases and the pain of breaking up. You won't achieve God's purpose simply by avoiding stifling possessiveness, by refusing to lead someone on, or by failing to imply vows you don't mean to fulfill. Yes, sexual intercourse outside of marriage, stifling possessiveness, physical and mental abuse, leading another person on, all these things should be avoided, but God wants you to judge your relationship by higher standards than these. 
He's not merely interested in what things you will avoid, but in what things you'll do. How well you'll bless your brothers and sisters, how well you'll lead them to faith and obedience, and how upright your speech will be, how loving your actions will be. Ultimately, the questions we must answer when it comes to our relationships with other people are, what am I after? What do I have in mind? Are my goals the goals God has in mind for me? Or are they goals I've established for myself? As John Holzman said in his book, Dating with Integrity, brothers and sisters, remember, they are required to remember what it is God wants them to do. They remember their purpose to bless the people around them. This is what Jesus did as a human, and we are to try and be like him as much as possible. Also, remember, there is no dating, no marriage, and no sex in heaven. You will be completed as a spiritual being, having the complete characteristics of male and female, like the original Adam had, and like God is. And all individuals will be as important as the other in our spiritual forms. Amen? All right. This brings us to the end of this month's episode. Next month, we will continue our discussion about the cherubim walk and learn how to love as Jesus loved with an agape type of love. We will also give you some great rules or guidelines for treating others equally and keeping you out of relationship trouble. So be here for that on the first Tuesday in July. See you then, and may God bless you and keep you, and may you come into the full knowledge of your calling on this earth so that you honor God by accomplishing it. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to godslovelanguage.com. Or you may email Joe at jnlo at godslovelanguage.com. 